Imagine that you are taking a stroll in a park, or waiting for a train to pull into a busy station, or that you are riding your bike through a quiet neighborhood, and something colorful catches your eye. As you take a closer look, you realize that what has caught your attention is a painting that through its characters, colors, and creativity has brought a smile to your face. Attached to the painting is a note containing a simple request. Our Power of Three guest, Bren Bataclan, is the artist who has been giving away his artwork in this manner. Over 3,000 paintings in over 70 countries and in all 50 states. His Smiley Bee project enables him to use the positive power of art to help spread joy, laughter, and kindness. By sharing his art in a variety of settings, Bren is bringing art to people who may not typically visit art galleries and museums. He is providing art to those who may not be able to afford original artwork. He is putting smiles on the faces of those who have discovered this unexpected gift, and he is promoting kindness. The price one pays for this artwork? To simply agree to smile at random people more often. Join us on The Power of Three to discover how our guest, Bren Bataclan, is making a difference in the lives of people everywhere. So, Bren, you were born in Makati in the Philippines. And yes, I'll wow, you researched it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed, yes. yes. <laughs> we did our homework. Well, when we researched, yeah. we became more impressed with you. So, um, Oh, thanks. Wondering about what memories that you had from growing up in the Philippines before you came to the United States. Well, um, when I visit schools and I um, share my background, you know, like in terms of my art and being Filipino-American, I tell the kids that I, that my, the color scheme that I use for my paintings, um, it's what I used to see when I was their age. So the Philippines is very, it's a tropical country. It's very vibrant and festive and there are 7,000 islands. So there are tons of beaches. And so, I guess that's the first thing that come to mind because as um, a visual person, it's um, all those sort of like sensory things. And um, so, yeah, all the wonderful colors. And did you have, um, did, what kind of work did your family do? Oh, um, so my dad was a policeman. Mm -hmm. And then my mom, she taught um, second grade for a while. Um, and they met in college, and um, and my mom, because this was in the 60s, and so she um, like immediately became a housewife, and then my dad worked, mm -hmm. and so that's, I have an older um, sister and an older brother, and so there are five of us. And why did your parents decide to emigrate to the United States? Um, my grandfather, he fought with the Americans during World War II. And so after the war, he moved to California, and then he petitioned us. Oh. That's how we ended up here. Uh -huh. And after you arrived at um, in San Francisco, yes, what was your experience as an immigrant child in school or in your neighborhood? What kind of um, hardships did you face, if you faced any? Uh, funny you asked. I um, I have this traveling exhibit called Kula, which is fog in 
Filipino. Um, so we moved to probably the most foggy area of hmm. the Bay Area, San Francisco. And so that is dubbed as the Filipino town because no one wanted to live there in the, um, you know, when, when the first brain drain um, from the Philippines happened in the 60s. Because um, a lot of Filipinos moved around that time because the Americans were in the Philippines for about 50 years. And so they introduced Western type of education. And so there were lots of um, Filipino doctors, engineers, and nurses who were trained um, sort of like to fit here in this country. And so when a lot of the Filipinos were asked to move, a number of them, you know, um, went to the Bay Area and Daly City had these sort of mid-century homes that were kind of like built right next to each other and it was not a desirable place to live. And so a lot of Filipinos moved there because it was really affordable. Um, and so, but now these homes, believe it or not, are between a million to like $2 million. And so from being $30,000, um, you know, now it costs that much. So growing up there in the 80s, I thought, oh, everyone could afford a house because all my relatives have homes. Right. That's not attainable anymore. And so that's a long kind of answer, but it was a super easy transition because we moved to the Philippine-American part of the country, or the California. And so um, this is not a joke, but pretty much the day after we arrived this country, I was placed in fifth grade. And most of my classmates, the teacher, the mayor, the business owners were all Filipinos. And I went back home and I, I asked my parents, did we move? Because I didn't <laughs> see any white folks or snow. That's funny. Yeah. Your so it was easy. Yeah, your neighborhood yeah. sounds like many of the neighborhoods we have surrounding New York City now, where yeah. they were very cheap. And now those same houses are, again, going for millions of dollars. Um, yes. Brent, what's the age difference between you and your siblings? Um, answer is quite significant. It's between six, seven, and close to eight. Mm -hmm. Oh, eight, yeah. So actually growing up, I didn't really know them all too well because they were teenagers, you know, when I kind of was age, I could say, oh, I have siblings, but now we're really close. So um, growing up, we didn't really know each other because of the big age gap, but now we're, we're super close. When, when you uh, came to San Francisco and were here for a couple of years, did you find that you were holding on to uh, traditions that were part of your upbringing in the Philippines? Um, yes. And so Philippines are very kind of close, tight-knit families. And so that's big for us. But because of the American influence, um, actually, we were encouraged to be um, Americanized. And so I spoke English when I moved here actually I learned English um, at the same time as I learned the local language and so when I was um, moved here I was placed in the highest English class and my grammar was perfect mm -hmm. I don't have that anymore <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so but um, no and, and so we were encouraged to be Americanized but there were certain things that my parents sort of were, they were caught off guard like we're one of the few Asians that don't use chopsticks. And so because of the Spanish influence, we use um, 
forks and um, spoons. Mm -hmm. And so, but I realized when I was a kid here and knew that folks here used a fork and knife. Mm -hmm. And so when I started to use that, my, my dad was a bit upset because he was seeing me losing my kind of heritage but I just don't, I don't want to be a social pariah. I want to use, you know, what the American kids were using. So there, there were minor things like that, that they were um, sort of really kind of just taken aback. And also, um, I went through Catholic school in the Philippines, and um, there was no discipline issue. I mean, just looking back at it, everyone just sat straight because the nuns would like, you know, you, 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 you would be punished. And so my first few weeks that transition because we couldn't afford to uh, have me um, be like enrolled in Catholic school and so um, um, yeah so like it was a big switch from um, like Catholic school in the Philippines to like public school here um, in the early 80s so like those are the uh, that's the biggest shift for me or, or change but overall no I mean um, like I can't over emphasize how fortunate I was to move to San Francisco to that town where everything is mostly um, everyone still now mostly Filipino actually it's a big deal right now because the current mayor she is a um, Filipina so she's the first um, female Filipino um, mayor of Daly City when, when, when you and your family were beginning the process of, of coming to the United States uh, there must have been some level of expectation of you know of what you know the culture was like here the people like were like and did was your um, transition met with some disappointment was it did it exceed your expectation what was that like it actually was a funny way of growing up because i always knew that i would eventually like the whole family will end up here because of my grandfather um and so um as i men mentioned the philippines is very um, kind of Americanized influence. Actually, a lot of products are tested in the Philippines. So basically, if Filipinos like the products, Americans will like the product. So um, I read a, few, uh, like a survey a number of years ago where they asked a whole bunch of nations which countries like um, the U.S. the most. Believe it or not, it was... The um, the like U.S. was number two, and number one was the Philippines, uh -huh. and so the Philippines like the U.S. more than the United <laughs> States. Like, so that's just to give you a little glimpse of how ready I was to move here. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so I was pretty much mentally prepared. You're ready. Yeah. yeah, I was ready. Um, it wasn't until I was in graduate school in Ohio when it was, um, when when I first lived in a place where it snowed, and I said. Oh, okay. <laughs> this this would have been more of a challenge to, yeah. So maybe this would be a good uh, place to start transitioning to uh, sure. your early life here in, in the United States in San Francisco, and then the transition or the process that uh, wound up with you attending UCLA. Talk about that that process. And oh how yeah, you wound up there. Um, I ended up there because um, they have a like a good des design program, which is now actually, um, it's, it's stronger. And so um, I also wanted to get into the whole Hollywood special effects um, industry. And 
growing up in San Francisco and uh, being a big Star Wars and um, Indiana Jones fan, my dream job was to work for George Lucas. And so I said, well, if I go to UCLA, it's right next to Hollywood, I'm sure they would have good computer graphics stuff. And so that's why I ended up there. And um, yeah, in the early 90s, it was like the golden age of um, com computer graphics because um, friends of mine who um, were like about to um, graduate, they would get these amazing jobs and they paid really, really well, and they and some of them act, actually trained you first, and then you'd, you'd get the job, and so that lasted for a handful of years, but now it has changed because they go to con countries like the um, Philippines, because it's cheap, cheaper to have, like, um, you know, like, um, special effects done there, so, yeah, uh, right. yeah. so, um, yeah, so How did it you has changed a lot. Yes. Early in your uh, life, how did you get inspired to do artwork? I mean, because you wound up painting. Um, and were you painting as a young person also? Um, okay, here it is. My, my whole family can play um, an instrument. And so my dad minored in trumpet um, in college. And my mom and sister can play the piano. Um, my brother, he can play the guitar really well. I have zero musical <laughs> talent, <laughs> and so um, one way for me to like, express my, myself um, artistically was through drawings, and so um, like, I drew a lot, and I painted, and, um, and so I feel really fortunate now that I can be a full-time artist, but um, like I tell kids when I give school presentations, like, like I ask them, hey, who amongst you like to like play sports and I tell them I can't play any so um, art has chosen me because it was a way for me to like feel good about myself and what I do. So how would you characterize your UCLA? I'm sure that uh, you loved your time there. It helped you to uh, focus and and, uh, and realize your goals and dreams of becoming an artist. Yeah, I mean, um, it was great. The weather and LA is nice, like almost every single day. So, um, and then plus, it's like right next to like Hollywood, and um, it was neat to see actors and actresses kind of like randomly, like you see them having coffee and or like haircuts, and so it was pretty like a surreal place. And plus, um, since I really wanted to be in the special effects world, I was. Um, able to have um, these really um, fun internships and which led me to say hey um, I want to further pursue this so this was 1993 and at that point hardly any, any schools had um, an advanced degree in computer animation mm -hmm. and I applied to um, like five or six schools and um, Ohio State said we would pay for the whole entire thing, so I ended up there. <laughs> Good choice. Yeah. So you were there for two more years in the master's yes. program? Yep. And, and just talk a little bit about the, uh, the differences that you, uh, you, you experienced being in Ohio, at Ohio State University, compared to where you were. Um, not just in terms of the, the, the climate, obviously, but what else, what, what was your experience like there? 
Okay, so I thought UCLA was big at that point. There were um, 36,000 students when I was there. Um, Ohio State, when I was there in the mid 90s, I mean, in the early 90s, there were 60,000 students. I remember um, asking my uh, the, uh, taxi driver, because I had the map of the school, and and I had to meet with my um, advisor. So, so like, this was my first time there, and I thought the map, of the, the um, scale of the map was the same as um, UCLA. I didn't know it was maybe three times bigger. So I had to walk through a cornfield, a freeway, it rained in between, and I was a mess part, um, by the time I met with my um, advisor. And so it was the size of the school that threw me off first. But I think what I love about the Midwest, and I was just in um, Wisconsin about a week ago, it's just the people there are really friendly. And so, um, and it, yeah, they, they would give you eye contact, they would smile, and they talk to you. So I absolutely love that about um, the, um, the um, Midwest. And plus, living in L.A. versus living in Ohio in the early 90s was just like night and day in terms of the cost. Like the um, apartment I was paying, um, like UCLA, was like almost five times more than um, um, in um, Columbus. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was pretty incredible. It's a big change. And also it snowed. As I mentioned, <laughs> it's notes. Still, it's not past notes. <laughs> <laughs> so after your degree, then, yep. what job did you have first um, before you went into painting full time? Sure. Um, so um, I was going to go back to Hollywood or, or like work for George Lucas, but um, in the mid nineties. Um, as I said, there were only a handful of schools that um, offered advanced degree in computer animation. And so my graduate thesis project was being shown um, over in Los Angeles. Um, sig um, the um, event's called SIGGRAPH. And so all these schools were um, really like, they, they, they were, um, they wanted to find folks with like a master's dig degree to like teach in a program and so the first school that um and interviewed me was um savannah school of design in georgia mm -hmm. and i wasn't really thinking of, about teaching but at that point i called my mom because she taught and and then i asked her mom should i go back to la or teach for a while and she said, well, why, why don't you take a break and teach and see if you like it? And at that point, um, UMass Amherst here in Massachusetts interviewed me. And this was pre-GPS, pre-MapQuest. And I'm horrible in map reading <laughs> and directions. So we can see where I this said, is going, bro. Yeah, so I said, oh, I've never been to Boston. Why don't I drive over there? And I looked at the map. I thought... Amherst is only 15 minutes away from Boston. I didn't know it was two hours away. So I got there. This was 1995. I said, where am I? I'm like out in the middle of the woods. So, um, yeah, so I love teaching, but I just couldn't imagine being out in Western Mass. It's beautiful for 40 years. And also this was, um, so after about a year or so, um, like I realized that, my friends in computer graphics are making significantly more than me. And this was sort of like 
the start of the dot com, um, you know, everything. And so I stopped teaching and I joined the dot com world. And for the first time in my life, I had money and amazing stocks. And I remember in 1999, I was telling myself, oh my gosh, we can buy a house in San Francisco. Um, and then that summer, the uh, stock market crashed. This was 2000. And my stock plummeted to 50 cents a share. <laughs> so from almost affording a house in San Francisco to nothing was horrible. Oh, mm -hmm. And it was like that for about a year and a half. So um, around 2000 to 2003, there was like an oversaturation of folks with my background. Um, um, and, and I couldn't find a job. So I tried everything, including painting these characters that I've been drawing since I was a little kid. So in October 2003, I um, premiered these characters that I've been drawing since I was a kid. I painted 56 of them because I had all the time in the world and 49 sold in two days. Oh. And I was like the happiest person in the world. <laughs> Where, how did and, you sell them? Where, where were they, um, you know? Where, were the, where was the showing? Was yeah, it, where, at home, gallery? like in our house. So wow. it was just here. So, yeah, it was incredible. So Cambridge, where I live, um, 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 every year there's an open studios event where homes would just um, open their doors for, for the um, public to either see or... or um, um, purchase artwork and October 2003 that was what I, that happened and it changed my life so um, my family and friends they were saying well Bren you made all this money and now you have all this confidence aren't you now going to look for a job because you feel really good and I said you know I think I'm going to thank Boston and give away paintings I remember mom saying what what are you talking about <laughs> yeah and so um, I grew up in San Francisco, and I saw lots of street art, and I've always been a fan, but I was nev never the type of kid who would spray paint a wall uh, or like, do vandalism. So I, so I uh, told myself, why don't I do a temporary form of street art where I would prop a painting on a park bench with a note saying, this painting is yours if you promise to smile at random people more often. And I painted 30 of them, thinking it would last for a couple of weeks. So I left them on park benches, train stations, hospitals, senior centers. But Boston Magazine found one, and they wrote about it, and it just snowballed into a full-time job. And I've been doing it for 16 years now. And I can't emphasize enough that it's the best job I've ever had. <laughs> and it was because of sheer desperation of not having a job that led to this. And also my um, experience in Ohio, um, because folks were just super, super friendly, and so when I first moved here to like teach at the college, I thought, hey, this is like the Midwest, um, but I didn't get the same response. So um, I wanted to make New England to be more like the Midwest. So it was all two, um, three reasons. One is to um, do my own street art, spread happiness, and to, to like just give, 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 give away art. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, Brent, I just want to say that um, when Richie and I first started talking about uh, doing this podcast, Power of Three, yes, we wanted the focus to be on those people who have made a difference in the lives of others. 
And that's why, Regina, I wanted to interview you. Uh, you have had an impact on others, I'm going to say quite literally, around the world through your artwork. And it's amazing. Thank you. It's amazing that such a simple act of kindness has magnified around the world the way it has. It's, just, it's a beautiful uh, thing that you're doing. I, I, I would say before you, uh, we're going to ask you to talk about, uh, you know, the, the impact that you have on, had on others. Maybe we can begin. Where has the impact been for you? Have you heard from others who have, you know, taken your work and, and paid it forward? Have they been able to get back to you and share their stories with you? I'm, I'm, I'm sure the answer is yes. And I'm sure you have one or two that you could share with us. Oh, sure. Um, so if you go on my website, you'll see hundreds of feedback. Um, so um, they've now been given away in, I think, 77 different countries. And so I can't afford to go to all these places. So family, friends, and clients give away paintings for me. So just recently, a friend of mine, he was in Ecuador, so he left paintings there. And um, when I was in Wisconsin, the art teacher's mom um, she went to Africa, so she left a painting over at the Ivory Coast. And recently, um, a painting client of mine, his boss went to Kashmir, and so he left artwork there. So, um, so paintings have given away there. And then last summer, I was in Eastern Europe. I went to Estonia, Latvia, and um, Lithuania. So, and I've also given away paintings in all. 50 states. So over 3,000 paintings have been given away. Um, but when I first started this, as I said, I didn't think that I would do this um, forever. Um, but I remember I started in October and it was February and I was in Harvard Square because I live right next to Harvard. And um, I left a painting on a park bench and there was this couple um, who approached a painting and the woman was wearing these dark shades, and I thought, well, that's kind of unusual because it was 4 p.m., it was almost nighttime, but she picked up the painting, and I didn't hear back from them until springtime, and she emailed me and said, oh, Brent, I'd like to meet you. Can I come to your studio? At that point, I didn't have a studio. I just had, like, our extra room as my studio. Um, I now have a studio um, in, in Boston, and so she knocks on the door. It was spring. And it was nice and sunny. And when I opened the door, um, she was wearing the same shades. And when she removed it, part of her head was kind of um, caved in. Mm -hmm. And she said that she and her husband found the painting um, during her first week of chemotherapy here in Boston because they lived abroad. Uh -huh. And we hugged and we cried. And it was that point that I told myself, wow. Um, it doesn't matter if I have the money or not, I'm going to continue this because I thought it was just, just for my own kind of selfish goal of seeing more smiles. I didn't know at that point that it would make that much of a difference. And I've had um, moms email me saying, oh, my kid just stepped out of his or her therapy session. She found a painting um, and that was free and it made her a lot happier and i just paid 150 bucks to like her psychiatrist <laughs> mm -hmm. so 
so like I've had you know like really serious story to some kind of light lighter stories like that and um, another one too like if you want to cite another more recent one um, I've been painting murals in Raleigh North Carolina um, for over a decade now actually um, I'll be back there this fall but a couple of years ago they um, experienced this massive flood and I left a painting over at the state capitol and um, a woman found it and she thanked me because she um, her sister's house was like massively flooded her her hometown and she was really down about that and she um, after she picked up the painting um, she said that really helped her be more positive and um, and and then we became friends and last year when I painted a mural um, in Raleigh um, I stayed in her um, like in her home mm -hmm. and so this is one of the amazing things about the project it's not just these smiles but I made some really really good lifelong friends because of the art that's an incredible thing it must be so gratifying to know that your passion has enabled you to connect with people that you could never even imagine that you would connect in this way and and through your artwork and through your passion you're you're, you're creating relationships or developing relationships that have turned into lifelong friendships and your work is heartwarming and, and your story is inspirational to so Thank many you. people i'm sure the effect goes way beyond the people that you have um given paintings to Brent, I, I yeah think, uh, go ahead i'm yes. sorry i didn't mean to interrupt go ahead oh no i mean um yeah it, it yeah there are like a lot of just amazing things that um have happened i um had an exhibit and also like a um, fundraising um for the flood victims of the philippines so because of global warming um the philippines have been experiencing lots of super storms and so um, I had this fundraising once, I mean, um, like a few years ago, and um, I was expecting, you know, like to like make a couple, couple hundred dollars, um, but this one woman walked in to like this uh, space and she said, well, here's a thousand dollars for your, um, for your cause and thanks for making Boston a better place. Oh. And then she left. And she looked like a college student. So I was asking myself, like, how is she able to afford this? And fortunately, we connected through Facebook. And after a while, um, you know, she like said, oh, Brent, would you like to meet up for coffee? I said, yeah, sure. I found out that um, the reason why she gave the $1,000 was she was about to get married. And a couple of weeks prior to her wedding, her fiance canceled. And so she said, well, I could have used that money to like, go to bars and do not so wide, you know, not so smart things. But she said she chose a handful of organizations to sponsor. And I was one of them. So I was just so blown away that, you know, um, because just like with my work, you know, I was unemployed and I found this job, you know, from from like that tragic situation of her wedding being canceled, she turned this to something really good. And so just like pay it forward thing is just great, you know, because 
you would get back a lot and you give and you get back it just gets kind of bigger and better bigger and better it's just so beautiful uh, that was that was uh i'm sure you have many many stories like that but i'm sure there are thousands of people who you haven't heard from who are also inspired by you and, uh, and are doing great things because of you thank you yeah i'm um, I sometimes don't hear back from um, the recipients till maybe almost. Okay, here's a good example. Um, I just gave. I, I was part of an Asian American artist panel um, over Newton South here in Newton, Massachusetts. And prior to my um, my my talk, the physics teacher came <laughs> running down the stage with a painting, and he said, "Brent." I found this in Belize 10 years ago when you left paintings there. <laughs> I don't know why it took 10 years for that to happen, but um, that was so amazing because I shared it with the, um, you know, with, with the students. Everyone applauded because he's a well-loved teacher, but it took 10 years. And so I met folks who have um, picked up a painting and not contacted me, you know, like at an art show. And then I asked them, how come you haven't emailed me? And some of them say that it was already a lot for them personally to pick up a painting. And for them to reach out to me, that would be another level. Mm -hmm. um, I can sort of relate to that because I don't know if you've seen those free hugs, folks. Yeah. Um, you've seen them, one. right? <laughs> yeah, you've gotten one. I'm Filipino and we are very huggy and kind of, you know, like, like, and... I thought that I would be really open to that, but there are times when I, even my, myself, would go, I'm not, like, I'm not going to hug you right now. And so <laughs> I, I can relate to why folks right. wouldn't want to touch base with me right then and there. Just recently, I have received an email from someone from Indiana who found a painting here in Massachusetts. Again, it took her many years to finally say, well, this one was because she said, oh, Brent, you're like, um, I didn't realize that your website is behind the painting. <laughs> you know, it's all these years. Because the note that I leave, there is a tiny print of my website. But who knows? Like, wind could have blown it away. And she, like, she, like, just picked up the painting without, um, without um, the um, note. But, yeah, it's an interesting study of folks. When I was in West Virginia... Um, the 10th year of my um, um, project's anniversary, I left a painting downtown, and I remember this nun. Um, she was taking more than one, like each bench that I would leave. She would, like, follow me and pick another one. And, I, I mean, I didn't want to stop because of my childhood experience working with her. So, you know, like, I don't know what would happen to me, and plus I didn't want to stop. You might but have to stick under her habit. I don't know. Exactly. I said, uh-uh, no, I've dealt with that before. No, she can have them. But she finally emailed, I mean, she, like, I, like, I received an email from her, like, a couple of days afterwards and then she said i took more than one because i wanted to give them to like other priests and nuns so it's okay that's fine <laughs> so that's good <laughs> sort of fine <laughs> sort of fine but that was hilarious because i was seeing this nun following me around going what what's going on <laughs> so <laughs> that is funny yeah brand your, your work has been featured on uh, the cbs evening news in new york magazine the boston globe i mean i could go on and you're, you've had exhibits all 
around the country and in various parts of the world. Um, has that has that changed you at all? I mean, you've reached a certain celebrity status level, I, I might say. Have you um, how do, have you changed at all? Oh my in gosh! That, in no. that context, no, I'm not. No, I'm the same exact friend. And I so no, I mean, um, no, I I'm really grateful for the um, exposure um, because you know I like it's helped me be a full time artist. But I don't think I've changed um, like at all. Um, so my goal is to just spread happiness and kindness and smiles. And if if my message gets more kind of broadly spread out there through um, you know like the uh, CBS Evening News, and that would be great. But um, I don't think it's changed me. I mean, I hope not. <laughs> so um, like, hope I hope I'm still. I don't yeah. Think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where did you get the inspiration for your characters and um, that you paint now? And were there any other artists or graphic designers that had a major influence on your art? Oh yeah, oh, I love this. So um, growing up in the Philippines in the um, 70s, um, there are these giant robot anime shows, Voltus V, Mazinger Z, and all that. So each time that I like schools when I say I love anime the uh, kids would kind of share their own kind of favorite shows and then when, when I share mine they just it was like crickets because they <laughs> have not they're like I don't know what you're talking about yeah different country uh, decades earlier and so anime is a big influence in my work and I also um, you know watch a lot of TV and I read and movies and um, growing up in San Francisco in the 80s um, I was a big Keith Haring fan, and so his style, very cartoon-like, he did street art. So, yeah, it's um, anime and Keith Haring, and more recently is um, Murakami. So his, his work is very also anime, cartoon-like. So all these things have influenced my work. And also, again, the color scheme is from the Philippines, very vibrant, tropical, and festive. Right, love Keith Haring. Yeah, it's great stuff. Yes, Bren, I uh, my experience uh, with Bren Bataclan also goes back a couple of years to when you came to Oceanside, and you uh, you met with every elementary school student in Oceanside about three years ago. That was incredible. Thank you again. I love Oceanside. Um, well, because I'm Oceanside, I've been kind of going there a lot now. I was um, I. I was in Levittown um, last um, last spring, and recently, most recently, I was in Cold Spring Harbor, mm -hmm. and I painted murals there. So, thank you, Long Island. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you. I think you. you may know this, but every every building has one of your paintings on display, and it's a constant reminder. It's symbolic now for all the kids, but they know that that is uh, symbolic of paying it forward. And of the time Thank that you. they spent with you, and um, it's it's a wonderful message to impart to kids, and you do it in such a heartfelt, unique way, and uh, you get kids involved. You get them to love to be involved in the artistic process. It's, it was yeah. really a wonderful thing to see. Yeah, my my characters are really easy to um, illustrate and mimic, and once again, this is not planned. My whole full-time fine arts career it's very organic um so 
I didn't plan for kids to draw my characters when I first started drawing them as a kid. Um, but now I realize that they're really easy to illustrate. And so um, almost all the students feel empowered to draw. And I asked the adults um, to, to like draw with us as well. So yeah, they're, they're really easy to just copy and paint. And, and everyone is like an artist during those sessions. And you ask people to s smile. Yeah. And there's no way you can't smile when you're looking at one of your pictures. It, uh, Thank you. It puts a smile on your face very easily. Is this going to be... Thank a, you very much. You're welcome. Is this going to be a lifetime ministry? Are you going to continue what you're doing? Or do you have any plans to change or modify what you're doing? I don't plan on stopping. So, um, yeah, this is my lifelong ministry. Uh, <laughs> and so I've given away paintings in all 50 states. Um, so I've driven across country six times. So um, I was even asked by a school in Seward, Alaska, to um, give presentations. So I've, I've been to Alaska and Hawaii. Um, so about close to 80 countries now, and I have more than a hundred more to go. Um, once again, it's not just me giving away these paintings. Um, um, other folks are giving them away. So I don't plan on stopping ever. So typically I give about 15 paintings a month. This has all been almost all self-funded. So mm -hmm. I just put X amount each month. And on lean times, I just give away five. But So that's why I have a rough... 3,000 because right. it's 15 times 12 times 16. Um, so, yeah. And I'm how not you, on stopping. And so now when you sell your paintings, do you do that through galleries? Or is your reputation such that people just um, go to your websites now and, and, and buy through you? Yeah. Um, so I do have exhibits and... Um, and all my work, uh, and, and folks can buy through my website. So aside from painting murals, that is my main source of income, I um, get asked to paint um, family portraits a lot, <laughs> which is incredible because if you look at my work, um, I can, most are kind of like brand-like, kind of whimsical characters. And I do have one other style that's close to almost realistic, but I don't paint noses. <laughs> if you look at all the fan they're Actually, missing that would help nose. me. <laughs> that would look a lot better, I think. <laughs> yeah, and so um, it's, um, it's not just... No um, comment. It's not, no comment. No comment. <laughs> um, it's not because I don't want to paint noses. My goal is to have the least amount of de details, but the maximum amount of personality. So um, I was... A graphic design major prior to switching to computer animation and so um, graphic designers can tell that I was a graphic designer because my work if you shrink it really really small it will work if you blow it up to like a billboard it will work and so I want my paintings to be similar I want it to be clean streamlined and also devoid of unnecessary details and so um, I find gnosis not that necessary, so I don't include them, and they they, they like them. And so, to like answer your questions, yeah, 
folks go to my websites. They either um, order um, one of my existing characters, but in most of the time, they ask me to paint more specific, customized um, paintings. Ren, in, in preparation for our conversation today, um, I learned a little bit more about you, and it's all fascinating and really interesting, and I'm, I'm glad we have this chance to talk, but I, I really feel like I, I want to ask about uh, a shift that I'm noticing in, in your artwork. I mean, you characterize your artwork as whimsical, and you describe the characteristics of, of your work. It seems that you're beginning to expand now into a more of a political arena or, or a painting that has political um, overtones or, or not. Oh, yeah. Um, well, because, um, you know, the whole subject of immigration and also ref refugees, you know, I, we are constantly hearing about them. And I have a piece called Waves of Refugees. And um, I think maybe a year and a half ago, or possibly more recently, I saw this really devastating photo of this Syrian boy washed up ashore dead. Um, I believe it was Greece, um, like the beach of Greece. So um, that photo is stuck in my mind. And, you know, most have seen that um, picture. And um, I wanted to do something about it because I really care a lot. But after here, hundreds and thousands of cases, these folks sort of become almost faceless. So I painted this piece where there are almost hundreds of um, folks almost forming its waves, faceless, but on the beach, um, there is, as close as I can get to a rendering of the boy on the beach. And so, um, yeah, it's for me to not kind of to like always remember that kid um, because it's just you know, really, really important. So that's one piece. And the other piece is um, called Liberty for All. And so after the election, um, there's this family um, here in Acton, and they have this giant house. And they said, Bren, you paint murals. We want you to um, paint how you feel after the election. This was right after 2016. And they cleared the wall. Um, and and the dad said, buy the biggest canvas you can purchase. So I did. And I'm glad I waited for almost a month prior to starting, because I think if I had started right then and there, I would have painted something not so positive. And so um, what I did was I painted the Statue of Liberty comforting um, folks who are more vulnerable. And so there's a Black Lives Matter person there's a Muslim American woman, there is a Jewish uh, man, um, a Mexican American woman, someone from the LGBTQ community, a women's empowerment um, person, and in the middle, um, I, uh, this is a different Syrian boy, but I don't know if, if you remember um, a photo of the Syrian kid in an ambulance, all bloodied, because yeah. he was rescued, and right. so um, like I painted those pieces, and um, so, as I said, I have this traveling exhibit about my immigration experience. It was shown here in Boston, and now it's traveling to San Francisco. Um, it's about my immigration experience. So, most of it 
it was kind of like funny. Um, you know, there's a piece where it shows me kind of thinking, where are all the white folks in snow? And there's some stuff about my um, accent when I first moved here and other things like that. But um, as an Asian American, I believe, you know, we have it a little bit easier. And so even though I express all those challenges, I um, also tell folks that, you know, like um, they may not be as hard as others, but these are still my own experiences. But the kind of the scariest experience I've had, which I um, painted on one of the um, canvases was during my um, um, 10th year anniversary when I was giving away paintings around the country. Um, I was in West Virginia and I was on the sort of like, um, like this road. There were no other cars except for me and this powder blue vehicle. And I noticed that they were trying to get my attention. Um, so finally, after a while, I looked and it was a car full of teenagers and they all did this sort of really um, kind of racist gesture where they pulled their eyes so I make them really squint. Mm -hmm. And that was really frightening. First of all, I was wearing Ray-Ban, so I don't know how they were able to see my eyes, but um, it was really scary because we were the only cars on the road and I didn't know how long they were going to follow me. Um, you know, I booked my hotel way in advance. What if I ran out of gas? What if I need to eat in bathroom? But so that's my most frightening experience, and I capture that in one of the uh, canvases. So, um, oh, the last piece I like to talk about is called Stop Separating Families. So, last year when I started to hear folks being separated um, on the borders, um, I once again felt really helpless and angry. And so I painted this piece of um, these groups of folks kind of caged and one parent is reaching out still in the um, jail like a kid because um, it's just horrible what's happening. Right. Well, what kind of response have you been getting through this artwork? Um, well, I don't make prints of my work like in general. So the one with the statue of Liberty, it was so, I mean, folks wanted um, a copy of that, and so um, this is one of the very few times that um, the owner or the uh, person who commissioned me, he and I, because he um, is great at creating prints of work, so we um, had them printed, and we um, all the proceeds went to um, Plant Plant Parenthood and um, ACLU, and so that's just really, really um, just great that that piece, which, you know, once again, from a negative experience turned to positive, and we're now helping folks through that. So that's that's one. And I'm also, I like, feel um, I'm just so humble. Like, I'm, I'm able to talk about my immigration experience. Like, I have this exhibit shown in Boston, traveling to San Francisco, like my story is being heard, but there are thousands of folks here in this country who, who like don't have this like um, opportunity right. that I do. And I'm just so like moved by that because, you know, like it, this is my story and mm -hmm. 
um, and I'm so grateful. Well, that, that's such a, an important point to make that there are thousands and thousands of people who have stories to share. Yeah. And they never have an opportunity to share in, in the, you know, in, in a way that others will get to benefit from it. So there's such value and benefit of, of what you're doing uh, through your work. And, and hopefully, you know, people will have a chance to, to pay it forward and to uh, promote kindness and, and give others opportunities to, to share their stories also by being influenced by what you're doing. With your exhibition, what is the setup? Are people able to speak during your exhibition? Um, you, the, the paintings are there. The people are there. And I'm sure you, you speak. Um, is there any dialogue from other people? I'm just imagining people with their own stories, you know, wanting to contribute. Oh, yeah. Um, the, like, exhibit lasted here for four months. And, you know, one, one of the um, cool things about being a full-time artist is that when the gallery asked me, hey, there are a group of kids from Northeastern University who would like to visit and talk about the exhibit, I could say, yes. I can meet them. So there were four colleges, like including one from Japan, who visited, and um, and I was able to talk about the exhibit. I'm also part of a Filipino American book club here in Boston, and so we had a meeting there, and I was able to you know like talk about each piece, and I would just hang out in the library, and I would meet um, other immigrants and talking about. Um, and they share their 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 own challenges. And I've had other Asian American um, folks, like um, college students, who say, "Hey, Bren, you know, thank you for this because I buried a lot of these feelings, these hardships." And that was the same thing for me. Um, it was really both rewarding, and it was hard to paint these paintings because. Um, Growing up in San Francisco, I just, this was in the 80s, and so assimilating back then was more, more like important than like embracing your cultural background, because um, that's, that's, that's more so now than back then. And so a lot of those pains I just kind of repressed in order to fit in or um, just to survive. So... It was hard to paint these paintings, but in the end, it was really rewarding, especially knowing that folks were able to sort of open up as well and kind of, um, you know, think back about their own experiences. Ren, as we uh, wind down now, I mean, we, we've been talking a while here, but it seems like only just a few minutes. I know. Um, Thank it, you. This has been Thank wonderful. You. Just um, when you think back on, on your your career and your experiences yes. and um, what you can impart to others is certainly valuable. Um, I know that you, you go into schools and you have conversations with kids, but kids who are particularly focused uh, on art and becoming artists, what advice do you give? What can you give to uh, young artists from your perspective now? Okay. Um, I sometimes have parents visit me in their studio where they're almost college kids, 
And like they would, most of these parents think that I would give them sort of like the scare tactic, like don't be an artist, you'll be starving all the time. <laughs> like they would think that I would discourage their kids to like not be artists. And here I am being really enthusiastic about them. In the background, I can see their parents like waving their hands saying, no, 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 that's, that's not why we're here. So I'm mentioning that because as cliched or as cheesy as it may sound, really follow your heart. I mean, art was my calling pretty much since day one. I was a civil engineer for a while as an undergrad because that was what was expected of me. Like, be like your uncles, be like your aunt, you know, they have solid jobs. And I can see that, you know, because even though I'm a full-time artist, I get, you know, there's still not a whole lot of us even here in Boston, but it's possible. You know, I think it's a combination of just being passionate and working hard and I can't emphasize the kindness comes back. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think part of the reason why I can do this because, and once again, I'm not expecting anything back, um, but just being kind, you get a lot in return, like a lot. And, you know, I, I met you, Mr. Capone. You're just amazing. I remember how welcoming and grateful you are. I had such a great time in your school and I can't thank you enough. And look at this, we're, I, I am, I am being interviewed because of your, your podcast, so thank you. Well, you. Thank you very much. That's because of the impact you, you had on kids and adults, everybody. It was across the board. You, you made such a positive impact on everybody. So when Richie and I thank sat you. down to talk about the list of people we want to have conversations with, you were on that list. Oh, again, I'm so honored. And you know what? I'm going to be back there this fall because West... West Babylon, which I know that you have a connection because of your dad. Um, so I'm going to paint a mural then. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I, yeah. And so like, I will be back there um, this this fall, and I hope to meet you. I mean, um, see both of you. That uh, that would be great because there, there's a slight chance that I that like I may be there for for three weeks for three mural projects so, so I'll have time here's what I will say I, that, that would give Richie and me and you an opportunity to meet and and do a, a follow-up it could be yes. 10 minute 15 minute follow-up to what we're doing today or even just lunch it <laughs> sounds <laughs> awesome over lunch yeah <laughs> we'll buy you lunch <laughs> thank you <laughs> so Glenn this has been a, a pleasure it really has we can't thank you enough really appreciate this Bren Thank you. Your work Thank is you. definitely inspirational and heartwarming. And, and it's making a difference in the lives of many, many people. What could be more gratifying than that? Thank you. And the uh, feeling is mutual. Both of you are just wonderful. So thank you very much. Thanks, Brent. Thanks, Brent. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. like to re remind you, our power of three listeners, that you can contribute to the overtime episode by submitting questions or comments to the voice message feature at anchor.fm or our email, rtwtmc at gmail.com. Thank you.